0: Episode number five of the Board Together Games podcast is brought to you by our loving families and all three of our listeners. Thank you. In this episode, we discuss Port Royal, Ticket to Ride, Rails and Sales, and The Reckoners. We'll also discuss how you handle having so many games and so little time to play them. We'll also discuss Kashgar, Merchants of the Silk Road, in our Where is the Love segment. And oh yeah, I have a hooker in my house. What is up, everybody? We are back for episode five of the Board Together Games podcast. I'm your host, David. And I'm Jerry. And I'm Kathy. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. We have got another excellent episode of riveting board game discussion coming your way. Hope you're prepared. Yeah. Man, all I know is we're starting later than normal and... Um, I think my age is starting to catch up with me. I'm kind of tired right now. I'm not going to lie. It kind of feels like midnight. Oh, it does.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also because it gets dark at, you know. Four. Three o'clock. Two. Three, three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. It's dark outside. <laughs> so are not we in really. Alaska?
0: What is going on here It's right
1: like 5.15, though. <laughs> my poor kids, they're like, what time should I come home? I'm like, you need to come home by 5.15. They're like, why? I'm like, because it's completely dark outside by then. They're like, that's not fair. I'm like, you should yell at God. I would... <laughs> I do agree with your kids. It's not fair. It's really it isn't not fair. I and mean, we shouldn't do the daylight stupid time. We're not farmers. We don't need
0: that. Well, no, you're right. But the thing is right now we are not in daylight savings time, right? The daylight oh. savings is during the summer.
2: Right. A lot of people say that, but it's like this is normal. Yeah. That's what it should be. So That's
0: screwy. Oh, well, I don't know if it's what it should be, but it's what it is.
2: It's what it is, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're we're kind of getting settled in over here for winter. Uh, And there's a couple ways that I know that's happening. My oldest, Jacob, he's starting to actually suggest playing board games again. And he typically does. Well, he typically does that when the weather starts getting colder Uh and, you know, you can't spend as much time outside. And Karen starts listening to Christmas music way too early Yeah, these things are all happening at my house. Hey,
2: it's never too early. Good for her. I Mm
0: -mm. nah, you know what? I I love getting into the spirit of the season, but there it definitely is a too early. That is the day after Thanksgiving.
1: We're all go until the twenty actually I'll go all the way up till the first of the year, but that's it.
2: I've been listening for two weeks.
0: Oh Oh, my goodness. You're one of those. Oh my god. I am. (laughs) Since before Halloween. That's Yes. Uh, That's pretty good. It'll be here before (laughs) you know it. That's the thing. I mean, we're going to blink and it's going to be Christmas morning, you know.
2: Which is why start early, because if you don't start early, it goes before you want it to be over.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of my issue anymore with starting, you know, putting up decorations and listening to music so early is because then I I end up getting tired of it by the time Christmas actually shows up. And then when it's as soon as Christmas day is over, I'm like, all right, we got to get rid of this stuff. (laughs) We got to take it down. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Uh, so yeah, we got that going on. We got uh, Jake wanting to play games and we've actually been watching, geez, we've been watching Lost. You guys remember Lost? Loved wow. Lost. Wow.
2: It's been a while. It's
0: a good show. It's got a couple of rough parts in it, but it's not too bad. It is it's it is well written and highly entertaining and my boys are old enough now that they can kind of handle a little bit more intense stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. and they're digging it. They're digging it so far. Yeah. Do you remember that last episode when they answered all the questions that people were asking? No. No, neither do I.
1: No, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) One thing you should not do is you should not binge watch that. Why? Um, Yeah, we did that. I think we were, Lost was only four seasons in at the time. Maybe it was only three seasons in. But regardless, my wife was down for a surgery. She was out for like two weeks, and it was just me and her before we had any kids. And so we sat down, and this is back in the world of DVDs, and we rented the first two seasons of Lost and we watched it in like 3 days. Yeah. Wow. And then we watched the next one over like the entire weekend, so the third season, and we were dreaming lost and we were both like, yeah, we need to slow this down a little bit. Like full on <laughs> like smoke monsters and stuff. It was it was crazy.
0: There really is something weird going on in that island. <laughs> yeah. It's inhabiting your dreams. They're <laughs> affecting my dreams. No, that's a good show though. It's a great show. So, uh, what do you, what else are you guys doing to get ready for The cold weather, anything that you kind of, routines or things that you have to go through when cold weather starts coming around? I have two, no, three
1: humongous trees, which I love for 10 months of the year. And then I hate them for one month of the year when they drop all of their leaves. Oh yeah. And then I have to empty my gutters twice in this season. And then I have to, well, it's the old oak in the front. Yeah, It drops two thirds of them right now, and then it will drop like the other third like a month before spring i don't understand why <laughs> but okay. it does that it's terrible Makes your me oak angry. tree is dumb <laughs> my oak tree is super dumb oh and it's dropping so i fertilized it this year and apparently it was good for the the, the acorns it is dropping so many acorns sometimes it sounds like there's hail on our roof it's ridiculous wow <laughs> my five-year-old was like Dad, I think the squirrels are throwing nuts at us.
0: I was like, no, it's just just the tree, buddy. <laughs> They're really angry with us. They're angry. <laughs> well, no, we're out in the country now. So, yeah, I mean, when you've... So, we've got things like chainsaws and uh, leaf blowers and a wood chipper and all these guys. So track, you know, the, the lawn tractor. So it's like this whole to do, right. You got to make sure all those things are winterized. You got to make sure you got you know, all the fuel drained out of things and all the batteries are taken out and kind of put in their place. So you can do trickle charges on them over the winter. I got to do firewood prep. Cause we, uh, we have a wood burning fireplace. It's not, w- we don't heat the home that way, but, yeah, there's just so much, so many little tasks that need to happen. it's like, really? I mean, I don't, I have a hard enough time finding time to play games. This is not helping.
1: (laughs) I hated winterizing the engines. I hated it. So as my items have been dying, we've been living, we bought our first house 12 years ago. So as the blower has been dying and the weed whacker has been dying. And actually this year as the uh, mower finally bit it and was gonna require a lot of work, I went ahead and just replaced it all with electric. So just Ooh. battery operated. It is really nice. There's no winterizing. It's so beautiful.
0: That is. I would totally do that if I if I didn't have such a large yard. You have a huge yard. So it, the electric just. I mean, you you have to buy. 15 batteries just to be able to keep something running long enough True. to do a task which exactly stinks but I got to say though man having a non-smelly
1: blower is amazing cuz it used to be I'd want to blow off my driveway but I also didn't want to end up smelling like gasoline just before I took off somewhere you know and so right right I h- hated that now I can just pop in that battery blow off a dr- driveway blow off the, the porch heck blow off our living room right in my kids face <laughs> <laughs> And it doesn't leave
0: any smell. It's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kathy, your subdivision's so new, you don't even have established enough trees yet, really, to have to worry about any of that.
2: Yeah, we have one little tiny maple tree in the front yard that lets off a few leaves just to make it look like fall, but... Nothing I have to worry about as far as my gutters or cleaning up the yard that much. Once one good wind and it kind of blows away, so I don't really have to worry about it, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Yeah. So the only thing I really have to do for winterizing anything is to turn on my electric fireplace when it gets cold. That's about oh my it.
0: Gosh, electric <laughs> <fireplace>. <laughs> you have a maintenance free life. Hey, get this. Kathy's one of those rich people, right? She actually pays a service to come out and put up and take down her Christmas lights for her, too. Whoa. I do. He'll
2: I be know. here next Thursday. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: I don't blame you, though. I mean, hey,
2: my husband won't do it. Well, you,
0: neither one of you are that big on on getting up on ladders and hanging up yeah. lights and all that kind of stuff. So, no, that, yeah, that makes true. sense. It does make sense. Oh, well, Kathy, uh, I don't know how many people actually stayed stayed tuned long enough last week to hear our little uh, riddle that we snuck in there right at the end of the podcast, but uh, yeah, are you interested in uh, sharing what the answer is to your riddle for those who were listening and are waiting with bated breath to find out <laughs> what the answer was?
2: Uh, first, I'll go ahead and r- tell the riddle in case people did miss it. I can tell you what the riddle is, so they know the riddle before the answer. The riddle is: the maker doesn't want it, the buyer doesn't use it, and the user. Never sees it. What is it? Brains. <laughs> I've heard things like money, um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think it's the only thing that I could think of about making stuff and wanting stuff and using stuff. But um, so anyway, the answer is a coffin, along with our Halloween theme.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. That's morbid. A little bit, but cool. It's a good riddle, though. It's a good riddle. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. We may throw another one in at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. So, Kathy, what else have you been up to?
2: We are getting ready to go on a cruise in a couple weeks. I'm very, very excited about this. Wow. Uh, it's going to be a Caribbean cruise. We're going to Cozumel, Costa Maya, and Grand Cayman. And I need to start packing because we're leaving in less than two weeks. I'm very excited to go to a warm climate since it's really cold here, and tonight's going to be like the coldest night yet this year. I think it's going to get down to the teens, so excited to go somewhere else for a little while. I am going to miss my new puppy, though, because we're going to be gone for a week, and me and him are pretty bonded, so I'm going to miss that little guy.
1: What are you going to do with him? Just going to leave him in the house with a bunch of glitter and- Food?
2: No, uh, actually, uh, our parents are going to watch him. So cool, which is really cool because he has kind of bonded with my mom too. So I think it's going to be a good thing.
0: Cool. So he's going to pee all over their house instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he's a puppy.
2: Yeah, he doesn't really pee that much in the house anymore. It's more of the happy pees when people come in or somebody bends down to pet him or something. So
0: yeah, I have that problem myself. You know, <laughs> you just get so excited, you just pee all over yourself. just—that's
2: just because over. you're old. That's just because you're old. <laughs> is Dave.
0: that what that is? Yeah. Well, you said you're leaving in two weeks and you need to start packing, and you got plenty of time. You know it only takes about what twenty minutes to pack.
2: You're a dude. That's what Kevin says, and it really bothers me. No,
0: that's what I was. I was thinking she
2: said two weeks and i gotta start
1: packing i'm thinking what yeah is going on you got tons of time
2: <laughs> i gotta make sure i got all my stuff and- you
1: need to set a you see a timer for 12 hours beforehand you're good
2: it's all you need
0: 12 hours <laughs> 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 and that's including eight hours of sleep
2: nope i'm a girl
0: jerry that's i don't know that's a little excessive i'd I'd say an hour and a half come on let's be realistic <laughs> i'm sorry i'm still being yeah, you're right you're right an hour and <laughs> you a half guys are plus, too much you know, eight hours of sleep you're good golden well yeah i don't get to go on cruises my wife won't go on a cruise really that's a shame yeah she's got an issue with uh with not being able to see land that freaks her out wow and this is coming from somebody me who i am just debilitatingly claustrophobic i cannot stand being in enclosed spaces and of course if i went on a cruise i wouldn't be able to afford one of those nice rooms that's up above deck i'd be down like way down in the where oh, what's his face from uh, Titanic stayed right? I'd be down in the, hole, in the hole. DiCaprio. Yeah.
2: I will tell you though, it doesn't matter what deck you're on, but when you're in your room, you can't tell what deck you're on anyway. They all look the same. True.
0: That's, that's unless true. unless
2: they're outside.
0: Well, there'd be no windows. There's no anything like that. I don't know. My brain. This here's the problem. Your brain knows what's happening, even though you can't feel it. I know that. I know where I am. Even though I can't see it and I can't really tell, I know where I am. And those rooms are small anyway. They pack you in like sardines, right? It's, I couldn't do it. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I could do it. I would muscle through it to be able to go on a cruise. But yeah, Karen won't, uh, she won't do it. Yeah, And I, you know what? I have weird things too, so I can't, uh, I don't give her a hard time about it. It's just one of those things. All right, enough about, enough about all this stuff. We should probably talk about some games. We do this every time. We just get to gabbing and... And don't talk about, you know, that's what people are here for. They want to hear about games, I think. They do? No, it's a pass. Hard pass. I mean, we're pretty awesome people, but at the same time, can't blame them. Anyway. All right. I'll start. I'll start. I have been playing, uh, and I know I think you guys have both played this game, uh, but I've been playing it quite a bit recently, and that is a game called Port Royal. It is a card game designed by Alexander Pfister published by Pegasus Spiel and Steve Jackson Games now in North America and it is for two to five players. And in this game, players are well, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I think we're either traders or we're possibly pirates. I'm not really sure. Uh, on the Caribbean Sea. There you go, Kathy. Go ahead. And uh, <laughs> And we're, we're trying to be the most effective at gaining the favor of like governors and admirals. And we're hiring workers to further our goals and complete expeditions. It's a card game, basically. So it's, it's a press your luck card game. And you basically play the whole game is just a big deck of multi-use cards, which I love multi-use cards. Uh, And these cards, they can either be... They function as either ships, which allow you to gain gold. They could be persons or people, which will give you special abilities to use during the game, and they're also worth victory points. There are expedition cards, which you can gain by completing certain objectives as uh, as you go through the game, and... There are also, oh, the last type of card is called taxes, and I'll talk about those in a minute. So each card also functions as your money. It's gold in the game, but it only functions as gold if you receive it as gold by taking a ship card on your turn, and gold is used then to hire the person cards or the people. So on your turn, you simply start by flipping over cards from this big deck one at a time until you decide to stop. When you stop, you then do what's called engaging in trade by taking one of the cards that you revealed by flipping them over previously. If you take a ship card, you're gonna gain an amount of gold that's equal to whatever is displayed on that card, and usually it's either one, two, three, or four gold, okay? If you take a person card, there is a recruitment cost associated with that that you must pay in gold, meaning those cards, to the discard pile. Then, Probably the most interesting part of this game is that then each other player in the game, in turn order, can opt to take one of those cards as well. However, they must pay you as the active player for that privilege. They have to pay you one gold. So if they take a ship card, they're basically going to end up giving you one of the gold that they receive for taking that ship card. And if they decide to take a person, they will pay to the discard pile however many that person costs, plus an extra one to you as the player. So you have an opportunity on every player's turn to take a card. If you ever flip over two ship cards that are the same color and there's five colors in the game, five colored ships in the game, you bust and no one gets anything. Your turn is over and that's it and when an expedition card is revealed it stays face up for all players to complete on their turn provided they have recruited the right person cards with corresponding icons so each of the expedition cards will have either two or three icons on them and then a lot of the person cards also have those icons on them so if you have recruited the right ones in the right combination then you can take one of those expedition cards you do have to trade them away but you're also trading up in points so you might have three cards that are only worth one point a piece, but then that expedition card might be worth six. So that's definitely a good thing to do. If a taxes card is revealed on any player's turn, All players have to check how much gold they have in their possession, and if anyone has 12 or more gold, they immediately lose half of their gold, and then typically one player will receive some sort of boon based on whatever metric is on the card, like it could be least victory points or least gold or something like that, and then play will continue basically like that around the table until somebody on their turn reaches 12 or more points and then that will trigger the end of the game, and you will continue back around to the first player to complete the round, and whoever has the most points is the winner. And that's Port Royal. It might be a while since you guys have played this game. A little bit. Um, but it is, is—it's to me, it is one of the, I mean, the best filler games that I think I have in my collection. This game never outstays as welcome with me. In fact, we can usually finish a game of this now, Me, if it's a two- or a three-player game, 15, 20 minutes tops. We just rock through this game and it's always a good time and as I said before I love multi-use cards and in a smaller game like this I think it's implemented perfectly. The balancing act of making gold and spending gold is great and the strategy of trying to get the best cards for yourself while keeping other people from getting good cards that they need is super satisfying and It seems like I talk about press your luck games a lot, and I typically do suck at (laughs) press your luck games. But this one, for some reason, doesn't seem to fall into that same trap of, you know, you have a couple bad turns and then you're kind of behind and you can never quite seem to catch up. Doesn't really happen in this game because everybody usually has a turn or two where they just have bad luck and it doesn't work out for them. Every game that I've ever played of this has been close. The biggest issue I see is that there might be, once you are really familiar with this game, there might be an issue with first player advantage because there's no staggering of, okay, if you're second player, you get an extra goal or something like that to start the game. Everybody starts out on the same foot. So yeah, it's kind of, it's it just seems like the first player typically wins. It could be a coincidence, but that just seems like it's the case. So what did you guys think of this? I know, Jerry, I think you only played it once. Kathy, I can't remember how many times you played it, but what did you guys think of it?
2: Well, I only played it, I think, one time, maybe two in the same evening. And this was quite a while ago, over a year probably, since I played it. Uh, I don't really remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember the pressure luck piece. And I remember that being interesting because you want the player to press their luck and not get anything, but then on the same note, you don't want them to do that because then you miss out on a chance to get something. Right. So there's that there's that balance there of like, I really don't want them to do that well, but I don't want them to bust because I want to be able to get something during their turn.
0: Yeah. Well, and then there's there's cards that will, that because a lot of the cards have abilities, right? Some of those abilities make it better if the other players bust. Some of those abilities make it better if other players run out a whole bunch of cards because they'll give you other benefits and things for those particular situations happening. So yeah, that's, and that's what's Uh so cool about this game. It's just how one little deck of cards can have such deep and enriching and funny and fun gameplay.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. I'm with you. I really enjoy the multi-use cards in a game. So that's really cool. And when it's in a really easy to play quick game like this, to incorporate something really cool like multi use cards is really neat.
1: So I I thought this was a great game. It was a it's not it's not a deeper game, which I don't think that's the point of it, but it was a quick play and I, I had no problems with it. You you haven't brought it around in like a year. You you should do that again so we get a chance to play this thing. Um,
0: I totally can. It's just like anything else though. We've got so many games we're trying to get to the table that we haven't played, especially now with us doing this, you know, we're trying to uh trying to make sure that we have as much variety in our gaming as we can. So, yeah, it's it's tough. It really is tough. It is tough. Yeah, Alexander Pfister is easily one of my favorite designers right now. He is just – he can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. The the I think the stuff that's out now, the only thing that I haven't played – I believe is that Blackout Hong Kong. That's been out for a little while now and I haven't had a chance to play that. And he's got some new ones coming out at Essen or they just got released at Essen um, that I haven't played. But yeah, otherwise, just from the little stuff like this all the way up to the bigger, heavier stuff like your Great Western Trail and that kind of stuff, I've, I, I've yet to be disappointed by anything that he's done. This is one of his earlier titles and it he's, I, he's kind of been honing these small card games with deep strategy and great decisions for a while now. And the other thing he's doing that's really interesting is he's starting to kind of slowly infuse more and more narrative type of stuff into these little Euro games. And personally, I would like to see more designers take that same approach because I love dry Euro games. I love the Euro uh, mechanisms and things like that and just the overall feel of those types of games. But you know, when you're adding narrative to that i think that just you know that just takes it to the next level this game's available now in north america from steve jackson games which is kind of weird uh because for some reason with them slapping their name on it they decided to completely change the cover art but the cards that are included in the game are exactly the same and it just makes no sense because well because the style's totally different you look at the you look at the steve jackson cover art and it looks like this piratey wicked looking type of game but when you open it up it's that that cutesy kind of i don't i forget who the artist is on this but they do a ton of, of euro games so yeah there's a real disconnect there but the gameplay and how how it works is exactly the same so if you're interested in this don't let that stop you uh, go ahead and, and grab it if you if that's something that sounds interesting to you there is an expansion for this game as well. I do believe you'd have to source that kind of through Amazon or possibly even through Amazon DE or something like that. The cool part about that is it, it, it can be played cooperatively or solo, and it adds contract cards to the game. So it adds a little bit, plus it gives you those new ways to play, which I thought was really cool. I played it a couple times. I do own that. That's It's pretty fun, but typically when we're playing it, we just break out the, the base game knock out a quick 15, 20-minute game, and and we're done. It's really clever, really simple. It's inexpensive. It's got great balance of luck and strategy, and it's from one of my favorite designers. Just don't see how you can go wrong. That's Port Royal. Nice. What do you got, Kathy?
2: So I've been playing Ticket to Ride, Rails and Sales. This is by Alan R. Moon, uh, Days of Wonder, and it is a two-to-five-player game. This game is just like all the other versions of Ticket to Ride, but this time it spans the whole world, which is where the sales comes in. There's actually two boards. Uh, One side has the whole world and the other side has the Great Lakes, and both of them allow for the rails as well as the sales. You start by getting five tickets and you choose at least three of those. There's uh, two different decks That's one deck for the trains and one deck for the ships. You must use the train cards to complete the land segments and you use the ship cards to complete the water segments and you start the game with a mixture of them in your hand. There are 50 ships and 25 trains for each player color and each player must discard down to 60 total trains and ships depending on how they think that they are going to need them for the for the game. Finally, each player has three harbors also and they use those to place on any city that shows a harbor symbol. They are for their first come first serve and the there's only one player can occupy a city with a harbor. Any harbors that do not get placed Get you minus four points at the end of the game. On your turn, you either play a section of the route using your rail or sorry, using your train or ship cards. You draw a total of two train or two ship cards. You place a harbor. You take four new tickets and keep at least one, or you can use a turn to swap out as many ships or trains that you want for the other one for one. All the wild cards are in the train deck, but they can be used for the water routes as well. When you draw a card, you can choose either a train or a ship card, either from the six cards or blind off the deck. If one's chosen from the face-up cards, the player can draw either a train card or a ship card to replace the one that they took, which can get interesting when you're trying to play a harbor. And in order to play those harbors, you have to have two train cards Two ship cards and they both have to, they all have to have the anchor symbol on them. So once a player has reduced their 60 trains, ships and harbors in a total of six or less, that triggers the end of the game. Each player then gets to take two more turns all the way around the board, ending with that player that triggered the end of the game. And the players then add up all their points for their routes, their completed tickets and their harbors that they placed. So this is a really interesting take on Ticket to Ride. I really enjoyed playing this game. It's a lot gamier than uh, some of the more gateway-focused Ticket to Ride games. And we played with five players, which is the maximum amount of players. And let me tell you, anytime you play Ticket to Ride, any version with five players, it seems to be very heavily trafficked. And it's very difficult to complete routes.
0: No, you don't say. (laughs) Dave. (laughs) Dave. Dave is a little frosty about this one. Just a little A frosty. little bit. Well, let's see. What were the final scores? Jerry, How many? what was your, to- your total in that game? Well,
1: I just realized that I should have taken four points off for not placing my final harbor. So, I think it was 210,
0: so we'll say 206 was my final score. Yeah, yeah. Kathy, you were at what?
2: I was at 180. Yeah,
0: and we had somebody at like what? 260 about something. fifty
2: 250 or 250, yeah, something 250?
0: like that. 250? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize... At, uh jesse that we, was at 250 gotcha and we had mm-hmm. somebody at like 130 140 yeah i was at 60 mm-hmm. actually no less than that because i didn't place a harbor as well so yeah pretty ugly so i had like in any other game of ticket to ride you look at your tickets and you try to figure out well which of these can i kind of mesh together and all make work with some of the same routes <laughs> right
2: right or string them along in one big round exactly yeah yeah yeah
0: so that's what i did that's what i did well, when you don't get some of the cards you need quickly enough, and that board space starts getting eaten up, things go to poop rather quickly. <laughs> At least five times in that game, somebody would place trains down on the board or ships or whatever, and I and every it took everything in me to keep from flipping the table over. It was <laughs> so frustrating, but here's the thing. That being said, I would totally play this game again. I will tell you that I probably will never play it again with five players for a couple of reasons. This is a long game of Ticket to Ride. And when you play with five, it just makes it that much worse. I feel like it kind of outstayed its welcome just a little bit. You know, it's good. It's a good game. But that was a little long for what that type of game is, I think. Would you agree? Yeah,
2: I felt it was a little longer than I expected it to be. Yeah. And I knew the, the five players was going to make it a little longer anyway. And the fact that it's a little heavier than most Ticket to Rides, I kind of figured it would be heavy longer too, but not that long. I, I felt like we did. It, it kind of wore out its welcome for me. I was ready to be finished when it was done.
0: Sure. No, so the things I do like. I love the fact that you have to make those difficult choices. And there is more difficult than you would think. Every time you take a card, what am I going to replace this with? A train or a ship? Yeah. Yep. And it doesn't sound like it'd be that big of a deal. But not only are you trying to set yourself up for future turns, but you're also trying to make sure you're not just handing something to somebody else.
2: Yes. You got to watch what everybody else is doing, too.
0: Yeah. So does, does Don need a bunch of ships? Well, then I'm going to keep replacing with train cards, but I don't really need train cards right now. I need ship cards too. So it's that kind of stuff to me that was just really intriguing about this particular game. And I like the fact that you that you just have to, you have to deal with that balance of the plastic pieces you've got in front of you. Do I, you know, is this going to work out for me? I didn't think it was that big a deal. I think there weren't any of us that had to use up an entire turn to make that swap more than once. So I did it once. Jerry, did you do it once? No, I didn't end up having to do it once. You didn't have to? But, I did not either. But yeah, that's so that's it. I, so maybe we just got lucky and that can be more of a uh, uh, pressing thing on future plays. I, I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I and again, it's just like every other Ticket to Ride game. It's beautiful to look at. So it has a lot going for it. I, but then the negatives, like I said, is the, the play time. Large player count, maybe not so great. I think four or three for me would be the sweet spot. What else? Negative. Any other negatives? Oh, I lost. That sucked. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) You lost bad, buddy. I did. I lost really bad. It was just one of those things. Sometimes you just get stuck like that. And I mean, I was literally (laughs) trying to go from Winnipeg to Perth. Via South America oh. and not by going and not by going directly south to South America and then cutting across. I cut across the entire world, got almost to Australia, and then had to go all the way back over the ocean <laughs> to South America <laughs> and then try to. I didn't make it. I didn't make it. I completed zero tickets. Zero. It was terrible. Yeah. That wasn't good. I gotta say, I
1: think if we were to play the, um, as I was reading the rules, if we were to play the Great Lakes side, It starts you off with, I think it's 10 or 15 less um, total vehicles, total pieces of plastic, which would mean
0: it would be a faster game. Faster game because there is less space on that board. But but then again, with five players, I think that would even be worse as far as space getting eaten up quicker. My goodness.
1: Europe in our game was filled within like i I want to
0: say four times around the table yeah it was four filled. or five rounds
1: pretty close it was it was ridiculous everybody was getting their Europe
0: routes. which honestly shouldn't happen either because with and maybe that's another negative for me is that it's harder to set collect in this game. It's just harder to do, which I think, again, it adds is. to play time. It is. Because you are not... Now, instead of fishing for one particular color out of, let's say, six, if you include wild, now you're fishing for one thing out of a possible 12? Or no, it'd be 11, I guess. Yeah. Because there's five colors, right? Five colors in the ships and then five colors in the wild and the trains, right? So, yeah. I mean, you could be sitting there for a while waiting for waiting for the thing that you need to come up or just keep drawing blind and not not getting what you need. not get, Maybe that is a negative for me. But still, I liked it.
2: I think it's a negative for me too because I had quite the hand going on pretty much the whole game. Yeah. I mean, I could hardly hold it. I had so many trying to get something. I think we
0: all did. We all did. Yeah. And we ran <laughs> out of boats a couple of times, literally ran out of boat cards, we did ship cards. And I think the other part about that is, but here's the other part. I, I
1: enjoyed that it was a different variation, because, a completely different variation. I played a couple of variations of ticket to ride, but they're all ticket to ride. They're all, you're laying out your routes. This took deeper thought than just, you know, how can I get from point A to point B? It was also, you know. A lot more
2: strategy. And yeah,
1: mm-hmm. also trying to lay out those tickets and see if you can get multiple tickets that go through a harbor and then where to place your harbor and how to start that. And the harbors were worth a surprising number of points. So there, there's a deeper strategy to it. We weren't getting the cards we needed as often as we needed. And I don't know if that's because we were, we were playing it. I don't want to say wrong. I was hoarding wild cards because I was used to hoarding them for when I really needed them, but if I had used them earlier, I'd probably have placed some of my routes a little quicker and then just got my wild cards. Cause when I played the classic crit ticket to ride, I always hoard those things to make sure I can get that last second, you know, X route or Y route. And then this one, it didn't really turn out that way. Cause one, when you're doing a boat route most most of the boat cards are two. They count towards two of your pieces of plastic towards your boat route. So if it's a route of eight, you know, you only need four of those cards. But a wild still only counts as one. So you need twice as many wilds. So, yeah, getting those down, they're more valuable to play them in the train route, I think. But... I mean, I'd like to give it another playthrough, maybe do it on the Great side and see if we, we are a little faster. I got to say, towards the end, I was like, I'm ready for this to end. And we look around and <laughs> each of us still had like, you know, 10, 15 pieces of plastic. I'm like, nice. ah,
0: <laughs> this game is not even close to being done. Yeah. No, but I agree with you, Jerry. It was, it's different enough that it made Ticket to Ride intriguing again. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm certainly not knocking it. I just, there are... There were those certain things that I think could be remedied by smaller player count, maybe playing, maybe playing the other side of the board, that could fix could fix those things for me. So yeah, I know I I definitely enjoyed it. I, I will say that it certainly does not topple my favorite ticket to ride. I do have a favorite map, and that is the uh, UK and Pennsylvania map. Oh my goodness! Really? To I've me, that one, that one is to the. That's a, that's a good one. So with Pennsylvania, there are stocks introduced, so it's it's tickets to ride, uh, but through Pennsylvania and each, well not each route, but many of the routes when you claim them on the board, you have an opportunity to take a stock in any one of a set number of rail lines, okay? And not all routes have the same rail lines attached to them that you can choose from, and not all rail line stocks have the same amount of stocks in them, but it's a set collection thing. So at the end of the game, if you say you had the most stocks in R&R or whoever, or B&O or whatever a lot of these other ones are, Eerie, then you get a certain amount of points. Second place gets points and third place. And the more stocks there are, the more points there are to be had. And then the on the UK side, the board is squished down to where you can only place routes in a certain segment of the UK. And you can also only place routes that are either one or two trains long. And then as the game progresses, you use locomotive cards to buy special abilities to allow you to place longer routes and place in different regions of the UK. So that adds a really cool, different feeling mechanism to the game as well. So between those two, that's that's easily my favorite map so far. So
2: I think I could try that map.
0: I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think overall... Rails and
1: Sails is a, is a real fun play. It did drag on a little bit, but I think a lower player count could help with that a lot. And I think maybe playing the Great Lakes side. Maybe next time we get the ch- chance to play, it, we'll try the Great Lakes side and report back and see how that went for us. But yeah, I enjoyed the game.
2: And that is Ticket to Ride, Rails and Sails.
1: All right, so we get to talk about one that I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, I thought it was going to get more press and be a more popular game. But regardless, I enjoy it for two reasons. It plays in one of my favorite author's universes. And it's a really fun co-op game. The name of this game is The Reckoners. It's by Navu Games. It's a one to six player co-op style game. And it's a lot of fun. So it's set in the Brandon Sanderson Steelheart world. Uh, It's a pretty cool world. It's not part of his big mega world, which has like the Mistbringer and uh, all the other major books that he's putting together. But it's a a one-off world, but it's still amazing. So you're playing as the Reckoners in New Cago, which is like Chicago, but new. (laughs) In this world, all superheroes... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay. So in this world, all superheroes are evil. They slaughter, they dominate all the normal people, and no one fights back. Except for you. You and your teammates are trying to take down the big bad guys. They're the epics, and the biggest of the bad guys is Steelheart. In order to do so, you first need to take out his minions, or his lesser epics. Each epic has a weakness, and that needs to be researched by your team and found out. And after this, you can take them down. In the meantime, you're also trying to contain the epics, which just basically means trying to minimize how much damage they're doing. Because at any time, they can do damage to you, they can do damage to the city, they can uh, find out where your base is, and they can just wreck you. Because it's the Reckoners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, this is a dice rolling game. On your turn, everyone rolls their six dice, and they do this three times. They're drafting at least one die each time. And you can talk to the other players as you're rolling your dice and coordinate your actions. So, if I get a lot of research dice, for instance, and I roll a ton of those, I can be like, hey guys, I got five of them, so maybe we don't need as many for this particular epic that we're working on. And At the same time, there's an epic, there's one more epic in uh, territory than there are players. So you're always going to have to be moving territories and things like that. So you have to be coordinating all these efforts together to make sure you can basically in one turn do as much containing and researching and hurting of the bad guys, the epics, as you possibly can. Once you've done your three dice rolls, the action phase begins. And this is where you guys work together. And you'll say, all right, I've got, you know, like I said, three researches. I'm going to put them on this particular epic, which is going to knock down the research and take half their health away. And now we're going to take them out and we're going to hit them. And we're going to destroy that epic so he can no longer do any damage. And th- you get a reward for each of the lesser epics that you hurt. A lot of the rewards are that they will do research damage on Steelheart, which is your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal is to take Steelheart down. But you can't even hurt him until you've done a certain number of research. Things you can do on your turn. With those dice, you can research, you can take some health from the people, you can gain money, or you can contain the epic. You can also take out some of the soldiers that are helping to support the epics. And after all of your dice are spent, <laughs> then the epics take their turn. And what I like about this game a lot is that you think you're doing amazing. You feel like, I ju- we just did all this awesome stuff, and then the epics take their turn, and you just get your butt handed to you, and you're like, oh no, we're losing again. This is terrible both times we played this it's come down to the wire except for the time we cheated i guess it was a lot of fun and i gotta say this is a fun co-op game this might be one of my favorite co-op games
0: yeah you say we cheated and yes we did but again we didn't know we were cheating we didn't know we, we didn't were cheating. know we were cheating and in our defense the second time we played we also kind of crushed it i mean we did pretty good we did we're gonna have to go into to the, like the
1: epic mode essentially for this next time yeah which is looks terrible When I was looking at the boards, uh, yeah, essentially, no matter what you do, you're going to lose like five to six population a turn. When the population gets down to zero, that's how we lose. So as they're killing your population, you're getting closer to your end. And in that time, you're trying to take out Steelheart before your
0: population reaches zero. Yep. First off for me is the production. To yes. me, the production of this game is kind of what turns it from this kind of simple, you know, Yahtzee style rolling your dice and then take actions and move these tracks down and move these tracks up and then get a little money and buy some cards to an experience. So the production is is huge yeah. in this game. And it do, it does give you that. So I guess probably the only bad part for me is that I feel like I I'm not fully invested because i don't know the universe like you do Mm. jerry yeah you know okay fair enough so and i i feel like at some point i'll probably maybe get some time time to actually read a book i'm not sure though (laughs) Uh, but i would i mean the way you describe them they do sound like very well written novels just very interesting very entertaining great character building that kind of stuff so that's and i enjoy that kind of stuff and great character arcs yeah 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 so i think that would really be helpful although i don't think it necessarily need to have all that background knowledge in order to enjoy this game no so i agree i mean i see i
1: see little things that little homages they throw in there and it's it's funny and i keep looking at you guys like uh but I'm literally the only one in our group that's read the book. So <laughs> the jokes it, it's lost fine. on
0: us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm like, oh that's cool, you guys? Oh, yeah, you guys are gonna get that. Never mind. Yeah. Like the tensor gloves, which are a big part of some of the later books. And I'm like, Oh look, they threw them in Oh yeah, you guys don't get that. Never mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's cool that you, knowing the books, are able to see all these little things that they thought about, the little details to make it interesting for somebody who does know the universe.
1: Yeah. For sure. And uh One thing I got to say is he is by far my favorite author. Everything he writes is amazing. There hasn't been anything that I haven't liked, but he's writing this epic, epic universe where he's interconnecting multiple book story arcs from one planet and then from another planet on the other part of the multiverse. And they're all got these hints for an overall epic story that's being written. It's ridiculous. But this is like one of his just one-offs. He's just started writing about this world and this world In itself, it's just built into this epic world because one day people are walking on the street and then suddenly this star shows up in the sky and people start getting powers. But the weird part is everybody who gets powers turn utterly evil. Like everybody has a little evil in their hearts, but whatever that little evil was in your hearts becomes magnified a thousand times and you become like the worst version of yourself that you could ever imagine. But it's cool because then you got all these helpless normal people and they're basically enslaved except for some people who are
0: fighting back, so... Well, I enjoy it. I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. And again, I I feel like this game, there's something about it. It does things that normally I wouldn't or I don't care for that are kind of the standard cooperative game tropes. Like we take our turns, we do some stuff, and then the bad guys do their things and everything goes to poop. Right. And then we do some things and get a little bit done. And then the bad guys take their turn and everything goes terrible again. So that's normally something that I'm kind of like, eh. But in this game, it, it just works. It works really, really well. So It does. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun with it. Certainly uh, wouldn't complain anytime it gets brought to the table. Uh, Kathy, what about you?
2: <clears throat> Jerry has shared with me a couple of different times about Brandon Sanderson. And I was interested in reading the books anyway. And I only played Reckoners the one time uh, just a couple of weeks ago with you guys. And I have to say that after playing the game, I think it got me more interested in reading the books than just talking to Jerry about it. It seemed really interesting the way things kind of developed and I I felt immersed in this game more than some co-ops that I play. I felt like I was actually a character trying to to keep things from happening and to try to, to kill the little, little guys, little, are they, they at the epics? Is Minions that the little ones, or, or what
1: are they called? Little
2: minion guys. They're like
1: they're soldiers. Yeah. I don't know, remember what they're yeah. called. Minion soldiers, something like that.
2: Yeah. So trying to kill those little soldiers every, every turn and making sure everything's maintained and everything's doing well. And I don't know. It just made me feel kind of clever trying to get everybody maintained and at a certain level so that we felt okay going into the epics turn so i I don't know I really think that uh, especially with the character that I played I can't remember her name but uh, she's she's tough yeah and I think it'd be really interesting to to read about her character as well Megan, so yeah. I think we have to read these books yeah Megan
1: yeah Megan and David kind of the two main characters and then uh, you got profess prof he's uh, another one but it's great I would actually go back and reread them they the final book was released like four or five years ago so and it's it's either three or four books. Um, and there's a bunch of short stories, which I haven't read. But yeah, it's great,
0: great story. I always find this kind of stuff interesting when you because this isn't the first time a game has come out that has leveraged an intellectual property that was kind of not necessarily off everybody's radar, but just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So and like you just described, it's not like this is his biggest series. It's kind of a little no. one off series in the overarching universe and yet, somebody loved it enough to develop this entire game around it and work really hard to come up with this great production and get it released. And that just floors me. That's why what, what I love about this hobby. One of the things that I love about this hobby. It's, it's great. And I mean, it,
1: you're right. It's not a major um, property like uh, Marvel or Star Wars. I mean, there's always Marvel and Star Wars board games. Those have been going back to literally since the first Star Wars movie dropped. You know, <laughs> there's been a... There was that... Uh, Was it Attack on Hoth? I think that's—I remember that as a kid. One of my friends had it. I don't even know. I'm not sure. One of my friends, who's a my college roommate, he actually went back and found. I think it's called Attack on Hoth, but essentially you're a you're an airspeeder and you're trying to take down ATATs. You know, knock them over and uh, kill them. Could
0: you? Was that literally part of the game where it was you were literally knocking those pieces over, or was it all just kind of cardboard on a? No. It, it was just cardboard, yeah, unfortunately. So. Still, though, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Was it terrible? I got to ask, was it a terrible game looking back? You know what? I never got to play it. He was so obsessed with finding it, he
1: found a copy that was in near mint condition on ebay and he bought and he it won't he's always it. talked to me about how he wanted to uh play it with me but we've never played it so i can't really say he was explaining it to me one day so
0: yeah hmm. i need to well if you get a chance let me know i'm always i'm always up for playing a star wars game <laughs> even though oddly enough as much as i love star wars most of the star wars games just have not done a whole lot for me you keep saying Rebellion's the best and maybe one day i'll get a chance to play rebellion but uh, it's a pretty big time commitment there oh my goodness we just dropped
1: Almost the amount of time it takes to play Rebellion, playing Ticket to Ride Rails and sales. Oh, wow. It's
0: about the same amount of time. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, Jerry, if we ever have one of those days where everybody bails on us and- We're doing it. Yeah. Maybe we'll- All right. be fantastic.
1: Love that game. Same with you, Kathy. All right. Good to know. Don keeps telling me, one of the other guys in our board game group, he's like, we need to set up a time. I'm like, dude, you just text me and I will make the time. I will always make the time to play that game. Don, is is he ever not busy doing something? He's always busy. God bless him. So, yeah, that's the Reckoners, I got to say. Love it. Great co-op game. Dice rolling game. It sticks really close to the theme. So, hey, I have a question for you guys. Does that make this an Ameritrash game? I'm trying
0: to define this. I would say it makes it a cooperative game. Yeah. More so than an Ameritrash game. But yes, it is very heavy themed. I was
2: gonna say the theme can make it feel like an Ameritrash game. These, these
0: these these categories confuse
1: me. Throw some things in the Euro world, some things in Ameritrash. But you know, you were just talking about Port Royal, and that sounded like a fairly heavily themed game. Granted it had card drawing and all that, but I mean, when does it go from being a Euro game? To a Maritrash game. Uh,
0: Well, I will say that it seems like that line is getting more and more transparent because, Hmm. again, like I said, you have guys like Alexander Pfister who are bringing in a lot more of this narrative type of of storyline and things like that into the Euro games. And you've also got a lot of people who are uh, making these more. A more trashy feeling type things, like you're you're uh put a bunch of guys out on on a map, a bunch of units out on a map, and and that kind of thing. They're incorporating more resource management and uh, player abilities and things like this. So the worlds are kind of merging a little bit more than they have in the past. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's great because that all Mm. that does is is lead to more variety, right? And that is never a bad thing. But what it also does, unfortunately, is kind of leads us to... What we were going to talk about in our topic today, which is kind of also could be considered a game gripe. And that is, I'm titling this one, So Many Games, So Little Time. And that's kind of where we're going with this. I mean, when it comes to the variety, the other thing that you have to talk about is just the sheer quantity. Yeah. I mean, with all these new games that are coming out, it's just, it becomes this thing where how does anyone with a normal life, and we all have what I would consider pretty normal lives, how do you find, we have enough trouble finding time to even play some games, a few games, here and there, so the the idea of even trying to play them all is just ridiculous. It is, and that's that's kind of that's kind of what I, what I wanted to talk about is is, you know, where do you draw the line? How do you figure out? How do you discern? How do you figure out? Okay, well, this is this makes my cut list, right? This makes my uh, must playlist. This is something that I have to have in my collection, and honestly. That's what ends up happening, right? It becomes less of, I have all these games because I play them all the time. Sometimes I just feel like a collector, right? I got all these games on this shelf. Exactly. And they, 99.9% of the time, they're sitting there. Yeah. Collecting dust.
1: Well, and then we have a whole other problem. So I wanted to, I was collecting a lot of games and two years ago, I was like, you know what? It was on my heart. I needed to create a board game group for two reasons. I needed to set aside that quality time with people who were of a like mind and so i could meet some people and develop friendships because when you're an adult making friends is hard you got your work <laughs> friends but let's be real once you leave work you don't hang out with them so no. they're just there because th- they're friends by proxy they're not friends by determination you know what yeah, i'm saying how,
0: ma- how many people do you hang out with on a normal basis from previous jobs jobs that you've left yeah, exactly i can name i have well, one i can name two I can name two. Ooh, uh, you're doing good. one. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Kathy, one. Me, one. Jerry, two. Uh, of how many colleagues you've had over the years? I mean, Correct. hundreds. Exactly.
1: So, good point. Mm-hmm. So, I sat down and we, we want to make this board game group and it's been wonderful. But Now we run into a whole nother issue, which is we have one, two. Actually, I guess we're all collectors at this point. Maybe Jesse's the least of the collectory of all of us, but we're all buying games all the time. And so we have such a backlog of games that, frankly, will never get played. And our group has kind of settled down into a number of, like, five. Yeah. Which there's a lot of four player games that I want to play. Yeah. But I don't want to kick somebody out and say, Hey,
0: you can't come today. So uh we're going to play this four <laughs> right. player game. That's messed up. So it doesn't get played. Well, and th- that's what makes it tough too, is because you want to, you don't want to necessarily cap your group of people that you're going to play games with at four no. because then if somebody or two people bail, now you only got two. So you kind of want to have more people. Well, number one, just because the more the merrier, but also Absolutely. Because right. because if people do need to back out, then you can still play the four player games and have a, a good group together.
2: Right. You need to balance it. Right. And, and
0: I'm, believe me, I'm thankful that the people we have are able to, to come every week and we have that solid group. I think that's fantastic. It's great. I love how consistent we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, it does cause, it, it causes small problems like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm happy to deal with problems like that. Those are the good problems to have. Right? I love it. I love it. But you're like, let's play silver.
1: Oh, let's yeah. play. You know, I got a star Wars game outer rim that I've been wanting to play for like three months, but we can't play it because it's four players max.
0: Hey, let's play any one of these 900 Euro games. I have. Oh, they're all four oh, players. They're all four <laughs> players. Wah, wah. Now, and the other thing is this podcast and YouTube channel and all that fun stuff is not a money-making thing for any of us no we have very busy lives and while we we make time that's all it is we have to make time for anything that we love and with this being something that we all love that's kind of what you have to do i mean otherwise it's very easy to just get caught up and just go through your daily life your normal day-to-day get up go to work do a thing go to bed get up go to work be with your family for a little while go to bed so as an example my family moved, shoot, it's almost two years ago now, to focus on a more in touch way of living. And what I mean by that is just being able to be more in touch with each other, more in touch with our food supply, and definitely more, you know, cognizant and intentional in our individual walks with Christ. And we believe that this, what we're doing right now, this podcast is God's plan for us. And so, I feel like we're we're walking in our in obedience right now. We're doing our best to walk in obedience. And I didn't expect to be giving myself more time for games with this whole move, and that is absolutely proving to be accurate. In fact, at times I even have less time than I had before we moved to play all these games because of all the extra chores and the projects and things that come along with having little bit larger area of land and of course we've got the chickens and we're trying to do a garden and blah 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 the stuff we talked about before with winterizing all the junk that i've got now to do all these projects with and we are not the type of people that have new vehicles because we just don't so our vehicles are older so there's maintenance and all the things that go along with those and on and on and on and it just never ends and then to add insult to injury it doesn't help that, I don't even know what the number is, but how many games came out in 2019? Goodness gracious. It's, it's thousands. Too many. It's thousands. And it's not slowing up. And even just counting the ones that I want to play. Oh, yeah. you. I mean, I had, honestly, it, it gets to a point where I just have to stop looking. I have to stop looking at the stuff that's coming out because I'm like, oh, I want to play that. Oh, I'd love to buy that. Oh, this would be great. But holy cow, we've all still got... What do you call it? The wall of shame or the shelf of shame? Yeah, the shelf of shame. <laughs> yeah. The games that you own that you've never played and in you guys' yeah. case have never even cracked out of the plastic.
2: And shrink? Yeah. <laughs> so I started to feel like a collector more than a gamer and I didn't really like that about myself because I've, I've definitely slowed down purchasing games now because when I first started, I was buying games and buying games because I'd see something I like and I just buy it. I had to slow down my purchases. And actually, I'm to the point now where I almost feel like I want to cull my collection a little bit because I, I have games that I thought I would play or I thought I would like, and I don't love them as much as I thought. And I feel like I need to narrow my collection down to games that when I'm going to play a game, I really want to play anything that's on my shelf.
0: That's a good, yeah, that's a good way to do it. No, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking to start culling my collection as well. That's funny you said that, yeah. You know, so with me, with me, it's more like so if I have three games that all kind of do the same thing or similar things, I'm, I'm going to get I'm trying to anyway, get to the point where it's like, OK, this is the one of these that I'm going to keep, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen. If I'm sitting looking at those games when I'm trying
2: to pick something to play, I'm going to pick the one I like the most anyway. So, why do I have those? Right. So, the rest are just going to sit there. Exactly. For me, it's not only that, but it's it's like... So, I have games that do kind of the same thing. You're right. But for me, when I'm looking at my shelf to decide on if I'm going to play a game, it's more an emotional thing for me. Like, if I... Go to my shelf and I say, that game. If it doesn't spark the emotion for me, then why do I hold on to it? Why, If it's not something I'm going to say, yep, I'd like to play that right now, why would I hold on to it?
1: If it doesn't give you joy?
2: Exactly. If it doesn't give me joy, I should get rid of it.
1: <laughs> is that is that <laughs> is that lady. It's the lady from the yeah, Netflix show. Yeah, I don't remember her name. I don't remember her yeah. name. If it doesn't bring <laughs> you the joy, joy then you must get rid of it. Give it to somebody else.
2: Oh. Uh, the biggest problem I have with that, though, is I feel like- I have a hard time finding a way to get rid of the collection. I'm not sure how to go about it, where to get rid of it or who to get it, who to sell it to. Geekway. Yeah, that's true, but I, there's some that are have that have been in the Geekway trade more than once and they didn't go anywhere. So, I feel like there's some that just aren't going to move in that particular thing. And I want to put things in that that are going to move quickly and give me a good option to be able to get a new game. Interesting. So I don't feel like that's a really good option for me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of other ways. I mean, there's like buy sell trades on Facebook, but so sometimes the shipping in that alone can be really expensive. So I'm just not really sure of a good plan to call the collection. That's going to satisfy me.
1: Yeah. I'm in the same boat there. I was just thinking that I've got, couple of games like that we've played once and just haven't sparked any fun for me that were just like meh and you know like you guys were saying if a game doesn't really like if it's just a game that you'll play but you don't really i don't want it in my collection uh, you know i'd almost rather give it to one of you guys if you guys enjoy it more or put it in the Geekway thing and uh let it see if I can get a different game that I might enjoy better. There's probably, as I was counting through, there's probably 10 or 12 games in my collection right now that are of that status. So I kind of have a broken down. I've got my favorites that I'll play anytime, anywhere, anyone. I've got five heavier, longer play Ameritrash or Euro style games that I still have never gotten to the table and I probably never will, but I can't get rid of them because they're beautiful. They're Star Trek or they're Star Wars or they're Twilight Imperium or things like that. And I want to play them. I want to play them badly because they bring back the, my old my old days of Axis and Allies when we used to sat, sit down and play for 10 hours and it was a great time. So I won't get rid of those. And then you've got those ones that, you know, you haven't played or you played once. I think, uh, I've got a tavern brawl game. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'll have to go look that up. Dragon and Flagon. Yes, Dragon and the Flagon. So I've got Dragon and the Flagon. And I know there's a cult following for that. There's like five expansions for it, but not a big game for me. I didn't really enjoy it that much. And so uh, I think I'll probably give that one away if anybody else
0: likes it better. So I have one other caveat to those things that you guys are describing. Yeah. As far as what, what would constitute keeping a game. And for me, it is if my family likes it so definitely my wife if if there even if it's something i don't care for as much if my wife likes playing it i'm gonna keep it because that's a really
2: good point yeah
0: and the same thing same thing with my kids if it's something now ryan's different ryan plays lots of games right he has his own collection uh but jacob doesn't play that much he owns like two or three games and he really likes those but Like the other day I came home from work and he had three different games actually set up side by side on the table. They were all smaller games. One was Port Royal. uh, Another one was Onitama. And the third one was, I forget. Nice. They were all smaller games. And he was kind of sitting there and I'm like, you want to play something? He says, oh yeah. And I'm like, I dropped everything. I'm like, let's play. Good for you. Which one? I said, you choose. That's awesome. Because, you know, I don't want to lose out on those opportunities because like I said, they don't have the same passion I do. Ryan kind of does, but even he's kind of losing it a little bit. So, yeah, that would be the other thing for me is if my family, anybody in my family enjoys it, it's going to stay. Yeah, that's that's a good one to add in. And I would agree with that. Actually, when
1: we busted out Rails and Sales, Evan, who's played the uh, Ticket to Ride First Journey, he was like, oh, man, dad, I want to play this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> "We will, we'll, we'll, we'll bust out First
0: Journey, but this is probably a little advanced for you, buddy. He's nine years old, so he's, uh, just he's getting, getting that there point. though. He's <laughs> getting there though. I think he could probably handle Look at it. There soon. Well, you know what? You could probably take him to just
1: standard ticket to ride. Correct. But the problem is is we would be playing with his sister, who's just turned eight, and his brother, who's just turned six. So Okay, so maybe not. <laughs> we're in the first journey territory still. So Yeah, definitely. You think he'd be able to get Star Realms? because there's a two player game that we could bust out pretty quick.
0: Ooh, yeah. Yeah, Star Realms is not super difficult. It's just a matter of him wrapping his head around some of those concepts like trashing cards and why you would want to do that to thin a deck out, that kind of thing. So, there's a yeah. little bit of a, of more advanced stuff in there, but the general concept of just on your turn you draw five cards, you know, these are these help you buy other ones and these are for attack. That stuff's pretty easy.
1: Yeah, and initially we could play Face up, and I could just kind of walk him through. Here's what you want to do, and here's why you want to do it. Which sure. is kind of the best way to learn. So, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And he'll grasp the 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 main concept of the game. He may not get the whole, like you said, getting rid of things for certain reasons. But as long as he plays and he understands the main. <laughs> The main mechanics of the game, he should be fine, and, and he'll get the hang of it eventually if he gets familiar enough with the game.
1: That should be a category. Yeah, we should we should do a moving up. Oh, moving up from kitty board games to big board games.
0: Sure, sure, sure. So not necessarily your traditional gateway, but but the kind of the graduation games for the younger set. Yeah, you know. like you no longer have to play the kitty games
1: with your brother and sister. So here, let's sit down and play a real board game, an adult board game
0: you and me kid. Yeah.
2: Oh, he would feel special.
0: I know. But what what are some great ones for that? That would love to Oof, yeah. We're going to have to we're going to have to talk about that one in a, in a future episode, so I think so. Uh, everybody listening stay tuned for that because we're going to have to we're going to have to think on that for a little while.
1: Yeah, and then yeah. and then I will do those games and we'll I'll tell you guys how it went.
0: Oh, I like it. No, that'd be great. Sweet. That sounds cool.
2: Some other issues that I've had is that mainly because for a really long time i didn't have a game group at all, except when I played games with David and his immediate family. So it was either play with them or I didn't play with anyone. So the problem with that is because I only played with him, we tended to play his games and not my games. So there, that would cause them to sit on the shelf. And we tend to play his games because I have a hard time learning a game just by reading the rules. So I usually have to consult YouTube videos or try to find another way to learn the game in order for me to be able to teach it. So since I wouldn't know how to teach the game, then we would tend to not play my game. And I've kind of made it a goal of mine that I really need to get better at being able to read the rules and being able to teach a game so that I am able to share the games that I have as well.
0: Well, and I I can attest to the fact that that is definitely a skill. Um, it is a skill that is that can be learned, but it, it but it definitely takes not only just doing it and continuing to do it and do it and do it, but also I mean you could lose it. It's one of those things. I feel like that if I haven't taught a game in a while, I'm I kind of you know get a little foggy and I kind of struggle with it. So the more often that I do it, it's and the more frequently I do it, it, seems like the the better I am at it. And it is not easy.
2: So I'm allowing you to hone your skill.
0: You yeah. are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious do
1: you have a man is there an overarching technique to that like I know I kind of just wing it I try to lay out the overall premise then I try to lay out how the game begins and kind of what you do in
0: your turn but like I wonder if there's a perfect way to teach a game there. No, there's not that, that I feel like I can answer pretty confidently. And the main reason for that is because every game's different. different. So you can kind of have your overall strategy and outline for how you're going to teach a game, but there's always going to be those games that are the exception to the rule where that won't work. You know what I mean? And
2: not only that, but it's sometimes it's the person you're teaching the game to. You have to change the way you're going to teach it in order to help them learn it. That's true.
1: I've had some people that they don't want me to talk at all. They just want me to show them. They get really well they actually they zone out. You can tell they're zoning out.
2: That's my husband.
0: <laughs> well, now your husband's thing is he waits until he thinks he's funny. Every time we get done explaining an entire game, he goes, "All right, I only have one question. How do you play this?" And it, it was funny every the first time? 50 times. Every time. It, oh, oh yeah.
2: It's not funny anymore, no, but he still does it. He
0: still does it. <laughs> Oh you IT guys. Wait wait a minute. Don't loop me in or I guess well, okay, never mind.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yep culture.
0: Yeah, thanks. No, it's true. I mean, you just you just kind of have to take each teaching situation as it comes and just do your best. So I, d- I there are some little things that I try to do every time. I try to give you starting off, I'll give you just the overall overarching concept, what are kind of the big mechanisms and things that we're going to be doing and what's the goal, all right? And then I go into all right, how do we reach that goal this and then you, you go into more detail of what a, a turn consists of and what some of the things on the board are and some of the pieces so you kind of you kind of start with high level and then slowly get down into the nuts and bolts of the thing, right? And in fact, I mean, there are there are sometimes when you can even get to a certain point in your explanation when you say, all right, well, let's just start playing and I'll explain some of these more, you know, smaller, more detailed rules as we go and as they come up in the course of the game. And I find that helps a lot too. So yeah, there are certain kind of uh, general paths that you can follow. But at the end of the day, every game is going to be a little bit different because explaining resistance and explaining Great Western Trail are just not the same thing, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Back on the topic of of just the sheer number of games and not having enough time to play them. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes I almost feel like I wish these publishers would kind of slow down. Maybe I shouldn't wish for that because ultimately w- the number of games getting released is good for the hobby. It brings more people in. And ultimately, that is that is something that I want. I mean, I'm certainly not one of these people that feels like, hey, this is kind of my thing. This is our thing. And we don't really want new people coming in. No, I mean, I wish everybody would would be a gamer. Because honestly, I think if that were the case, I'd have more opportunities to play in more situations. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, no kidding. it's so tough. I mean, we just talked about it. We, we th- How many games do we have that we have not played at all? But ultimately, gaming is a hobby for me certainly you guys would uh agree with that as a description right it's it's a hobby yes it's kind of a lifestyle but ultimately it's it's a hobby i have multiple hobbies and this is probably the one i'm most passionate about yeah definitely this is this is the one i'm most (laughs) most passionate about so i mean what for example what are what other stuff do you do jerry what other hobbies do you have besides this Uh, i i love sleep and naps those are some (laughs) of my favorites (laughs) <laughs> those are good ones
2: <laughs> don't we all
1: no um i'm a avid reader um over the last seven or eight years it switched mostly to audiobooks but i mean i probably consume three to four books a month you know really good sized ones one is one or two is usually uh non-fiction and then usually one or two are fiction there's almost always an earbud in my ear and at night i read a book on a kindle as well so i'm usually consuming those that's that's a lot of it i used to be a ridiculous video game player. Probably if I look back on it, it's a sad amount of my life that was set, spent in a chair moving a joystick around, but yeah. I just don't, I don't have time for that anymore. And I don't, I don't do that. So podcasts are another big one for me, but oddly enough, not that many board game podcasts, which is probably sacrilege, but um, no no
0: i think there's nothing wrong no, with that That's great
1: i listen to two or three preachers on a fairly consistent date basis and then i uh got like the freakonomics podcast and a couple other big ones that i really enjoy i like knowledge i like stuffing this brain with knowledge that's great kathy what do you like doing what other hobbies i know you're a crocheter is there anything else
2: um i've had a few hobbies here and there of the over the years that really never amounted to much. I did um, stamping for a while, which is like making cards and stuff like that. And uh, I scrapbooked for quite a while. um, And that went from paper scrapbooking and it kind of evolved into digital scrapbooking, which I do enjoy doing more because it's, you don't have to cart around this giant thing full of paper and stickers and things like that, where it's all in my computer and it's all done through Photoshop elements and you create your scrapbook pages that way. And I really enjoy doing that for quite a while, but I haven't done that in, gosh, years, which is unfortunate. I have a lot of pictures that I need to scrap. The one that I really do the most is crochet, and that's pretty much to this day. And I've done it started when I was eight years old. My grandma taught me and I did it a little bit here and there until I actually became an adult. And then at 22, it kind of took off and I've been doing it quite a bit ever since. Um, I dropped off a little bit in my uh, late 20s, but ever since about 30 years old, I've been uh, crocheting a lot. And I really enjoy doing it. I make a lot of different things. So other than board games, that's my biggest one is crochet.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. You
1: and my wife are both hookers.
2: <laughs> yes, we are.
0: <laughs> All right. It's no longer a family podcast. <laughs> Sorry, everybody.
1: It's the crochet hook. It's the crochet hook. Oh, They're oh. oh, my goodness. I'm back with you. now. Where did your mind go? <laughs> Where did you go with you that? You
0: literally said hooker. I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? They're, what do you guys call yourselves, Kathy? Hookers. There you go. I know this because I have a hooker in my house. All right. Moving on. <laughs> uh, my hobbies outside of gaming are... There's not a lot of them. I used to golf quite a bit, but that was one of those that I just kind of had to give up on, not just because of time, but it's, it's an expensive hobby as well. So I've kind of let that one go, which is unfortunate, but uh, now it's, it's gaming and it's just being outside, you know, being outdoors. I I, honestly, and I, cool. I kid you not, One of the, to me, one of the most fun things to do is split firewood. I love it. Love it, love it, love wow. it, and I don't, and I don't have a, I don't have a mechanical splitter. It's just a maul and an axe and me. That's it. And to me, that is just, I don't know. It just makes me feel good that's a terrible description but that it's true no. not at
2: all i don't think not only do you, does it make you feel good but it's it's there you know it's therapeutic you you're um using your muscles and you're you're doing something with your body physically i don't i think it's amazing i i don't think i could do it yep. so i think it's pretty cool that that if that's something that you not only enjoy doing but that it's you know, it does that for you.
1: Well, and a hobby is something you do outside of work, right? That consumes your time. And as I'm thinking about it, I go to the gym three times a week and I don't do, I hate aerobics. So all I do is I lift weights. And I got to say, when I miss two or three weightlifting sessions, <laughs> I get a little funky and I don't like it. And it makes me feel so much better when I can just mm-hmm. lift. There you go. You know? So I guess that's one of my hobbies because cool. I'm so swole. you just... <laughs> I'm going to pretend that you did not just say that. What? I'm swole. Look at that. Look at that gun. So swole.
0: (laughs) All I can say is I'm envious of our listeners that don't have to see what I'm seeing at this point.
1: (laughs) We're going to turn this into a YouTube broadcast. You guys will have to look at this all
0: day. Oh, gosh. How do we always get off the rails here? I don't know. Because we
2: have fun talking to each other.
0: I like it. We do have fun talking to each other. We just decided to record it. There you go. Yeah. For your listening pleasure. Yeah. You all get to experience this train wreck for free.
2: You're welcome.
0: Yeah, you do. Well, no, you know, hobbies... That we've all been talking about here, they are important. And sometimes I think our society kind of downplays the idea of of having a hobby, that it's it's kind of a luxury and something that uh, that you don't really need to have. Yeah, it'd be nice to have, but if you 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 know, we're also worried about putting as much time as we can in at our job to make as much money as we can, or spend as much time and not and not spending time with our kids, but doing things for our kids, taking them to. Sports and you know having them being yeah. ten or twelve different things, and we just fill our lives up so much with this busy, 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 to where we're busy all the time that we don't take the time for things like this. And honestly, it, hey, I'm doing you a favor here, gamers. I'm here telling you right now, you need to spend some time gaming. Now, everything in moderation, yeah, but you do need to have that time. And it's not just gaming. If, if you don't have a hobby you need to have a hobby. Everybody needs that thing that is their release, right? That is their decompression time. Their me time, I guess is kind of what the some of the younger generations today might call it, but it is important. For a lot of the things we've just been talking about, mm-hmm. it's good for it's good physically, it's good mentally, spiritually. It, it you know, it covers all the bases. And honestly, this is biblical. This is biblical. Ecclesiastes Chapter two, verse 24 says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And then in Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So what I'm getting from those two verses is that God wants us to enjoy the pleasurable things in life, right? He designed us to be most at peace when we have balance. And hobbies are a huge part of that balance. And we need to take time and make time for them. Yeah. The teacher in
1: Ecclesiastes, that's that's my boy right there. i, I That's one of my favorite books of the Bible, yeah. which is probably a weird one to have. But you got Proverbs where Proverbs is like, do all this stuff and everything good will happen to you. <laughs> Just follow the rules. And the Ecclesiastes, he's like, whoa, hold on, hold on. I saw this dude over there. And like he did everything right and now he's dead in a ditch. And then there's this dude over here and like he's evil and bad and uh he got everything. So Proverbs is kind of stupid. So just want you guys to know that. And so I, I love I love Ecclesiastes. He puts a counterpoint to to the biblical wisdom and I think it's good.
0: It's really important. Yeah. I would agree. So there you go. You heard it here first. If you have a spouse or a significant other that's giving you a hard time for wanting to partake and play in some of your board games and being in this hobby, you just tell them the God said it was okay. <laughs>
2: I'm, it. Totally I'm
0: totally I'm totally kidding. Do not do that, please. And also don't tell him that some clown named David at Board Together Games podcast told you it was okay.
1: Oh man, we get some correspondence. I think we should. okay. all right. I'll you know who said that any publicity is good publicity? Ringling Brothers or something or Barnum or. Yeah, Yeah, I think so.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to move on to our, where is the love segment for this episode. And this time we're going to talk about a game called Kashgar merchants of the silk road. And this one is designed by Gerhard Hecht. It is published in North America by grail games, and it is for two to four players. And in this one, players are playing as spice merchants on the silk road leading their three caravans and using members of those caravans to gain spices and mules and gold and recruit new members for their caravans and complete contracts to win, or excuse me, I guess to gain victory points. Kashgar is a deck building game at its heart, uh, only instead of just a single deck that you're going to be building during the game, each player actually has three decks, which are called caravans. So how these three caravans or decks work in the game is that on your turn, you're going to actually choose One of those three caravans to activate, and you're going to utilize the top card in that caravan, which equates to the people that are in your caravan, and you're going to activate that card, which gives you a particular action. Then once you perform that action, you take that top card from that caravan or deck, and you move it around to the very back Of That caravan you use these caravan members or these cards for the shorter term to do a number of things you will use them to recruit new members to your caravans you will also use them to gain resources and this game those are spices. Uh, There are five different spices in the game. There's also gold and mules that you will be managing. To insist, all these things are going to assist you in completing contracts, which is the main way that you're going to score points in the game. Um, All of the cards in your caravans are always face up, which is another big difference between this game and a typical deck builder. So you always have perfect information regarding where cards are in your caravans and what you need to do to get those cards to work for you, make them available to you. There are five different spices. I cannot name them all right now, but basically what that means in addition to the gold and the mules is you're gonna be managing a total of seven resources in this game. Uh, And as I mentioned, on your turn, you just choose one of those cards you do the action that's listed on it. And sometimes there are multiple actions to choose from and you move that card to the back of the caravan. There are actually two different decks of cards that you're going to draw from to recruit new members to your caravans. And one of those decks is what they call special cards. And usually that contains characters with abilities and actions that are more powerful than the standard ones. Interesting thing, though, you cannot fulfill contracts in this game unless you have a caravan member that allows you to do so. So to fulfill a contract, normally you have to spend a certain number of spices and gold and sometimes mules to complete that contract. The mules, sometimes you just have to have them. They have to be in your possession in order to complete a contract, but you don't actually spend them. So that's how you gain those contracts. And basically play is just going to continue clockwise around the table with everyone taking turns off of these caravan cards until someone reaches a total of 25 points or more in their contracts and caravan members, because some of those cards also have points and some of them actually have negative points. And then once that 25 points is triggered, you complete the round back to the first player. So everybody has had an equal number of turns and whoever has the most points is the winner. And this one, since we are talking where's the love, is currently ranked at the time of this recording number 1,192. On board game geeks, so yet another one that is well out of the top 1,000. And to me, this that's that's just a, that's just criminal. That is shocking. <laughs> so the game was available only in German from publisher Cosmos for a long time, for a few years actually, and then it finally got picked up and published in North America in English. By Grail Games. And as soon as it was available, I jumped on it because I was aware of the game, had been aware of the game for a long time, knew about the gameplay, kind of exactly how it worked, and I thought the concept was amazing. And I will say now, after having played it quite a few times, this game does not disappoint. It is super fun. It's just a super unique implementation on deck building, which is at the end of the day, basically engine building. I love resource management and the balance that this game has where it forces you to kind of balance between gathering resources, gathering or, you know, recruiting new caravan members all while keeping your decks lean enough, you know, to maximize your efficiency. Because that's the thing. If you take one of your three caravans and you build it up with six, seven, eight cards in it, then it's going to take you a while and a bunch of turns turns to churn through that and get back to a particular card that you might want to be utilizing. So you've got this thing of, okay, I've got my three caravans, which one's going to be running the leanest, which one's going to be running the most or the least efficient, and where am I placing those cards in those caravans? It's just a beautiful balance of all that, and I love it to pieces.
2: So, I had not really heard of Kashgar at all until David introduced it to me, but I only had to play it one time, and I knew that I loved the game. And I'm very thankful that the game was easier to find now because I grabbed my own copy as soon as we played it. It was really <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to have in my own <laughs> copy. I, I enjoyed the way that you can manipulate your caravan and deciding which card will be advantageous to trigger at any given time. And figuring out <clears throat> where to put a card when you get it and what's how it's going to maximize whichever caravan and play against the other cards in that caravan or possibly a different caravan so that it will play at the same time so you can use that as sort of a combo move. It, it's really cool. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it's I went over kind of just the the basics of of systems in the game and how everything kind of fits together, but basically the cards they're the things that drive you forward, right? In taking those actions. In fact, one of the, or some of the cards have, I mentioned multiple actions and some cards even have what's called a parting action. And usually they have like a a red background, so they're more easily visible. And what happens with those is once you take that action, that card gets removed from the game. And sometimes those cards have victory points on them. So everything that this game does, I'm, I'm not saying that any of it by itself is super original, but it's just it's just done perfect. It, the way that it all fits together is just amazing. So, Jerry, it's been a little bit since you played it, but uh, what were your thoughts on it? No, I thought this was a very
1: cool game. I like the, the, the three different caravans that you're working through. I, I only get to play it the one time, but I would definitely want to play it again because... There's some strategies I'd want to implement. I think I kept my three caravans pretty even, but I think like you were saying, keeping one lean and having really valuable abilities on that particular caravan could be advantageous towards running a decent engine on that. So, I mean, this is a game that you can definitely pick up and play the first time through, but it's deep enough that a second or a third or a fourth playthrough is definitely going to reveal some deeper strategies overall. I got to say, I enjoyed it. I don't remember all the mechanisms, but I remember thinking that another playthrough, I'd probably do better than I did the first time. I'm pretty sure I got my butt whooped.
0: Well, and that's that's kind of what this is about. I do remember you saying when we play that you that you enjoyed it and you would look forward to playing it another time. And that's kind of what this this whole segment is about, right? It's finding these games that, yeah. that just in our estimation just aren't getting attention. Right. People aren't you don't hear people talking about them because, again, with this hobby, this hobby, it's all about what's brand new. I got to play this brand new game. I got to play this brand new game. Yeah. But there's so many good titles out there that are just as amazing as any of the stuff that's coming out right now. Yeah. And yet they just they're just sitting, you know, nobody's talking about them. And we just wanted to bring some attention to them. So, yeah. I mean, this, this like a lot of European strategy games, European style strategy games, has a super dry theme, uh, but I kind of like dry Euro themes more so than a lot of people. You would. Yeah, I know. Me too. So that really doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me at all about this game. Who are you two? The mechanisms, in my opinion, more than make up for it. So if you like deck building games or engine building games, we think that you all need to give this one a look. It is available online as of the time of this recording, but it does look like stock seems to be maybe drying up on this one. I know it's available on Amazon, and I know there were a couple of games on BoardGamePrices.com that showed there were still stock. Oddly enough, Walmart being one of those. Of course, they, they've kind of took the Amazon approach. A lot of stuff isn't even sourced through them anymore, through their website. Nope. But, uh, but yeah, so if it sounds interesting to you and... I can also tell you that there is a full playthrough. Maybe it wasn't a. Was it a full playthrough? Might have been a full playthrough from uh, Rado. If you're familiar familiar with Rado, runs through. Richard Ham did a really good job, kind of showing off this game a few years ago. So you could check that out and just to get a little bit better idea of what the gameplay is like, what it looks like. But yeah, if you like it, sounds good. Got to act fast. That is Kashgar. Merchants of the Silk Road. So I think that's going to wrap it up for another episode of the Board Together Games podcast. And if I may, I would like to real quickly circle back a little bit into this episode, Kathy, and give you an opportunity to fix the issue that you have with your game collection. Would you like to hear it? Sure. All right. So here's my thought. I think it would be a nice idea instead of us trying to find some other way of culling our collections is that we offer them up to the listeners of this podcast for their awesomeness.
2: That sounds fantastic. I love that idea.
0: So I think for a little while now, for the time being, we're going to try to do a giveaway of a board game every episode. Now, keep in mind that these are games that are pre-owned, so they're going to be new to you, but not necessarily brand new. Uh, They will typically be out of shrink, but we will verify and make sure that all components are intact and that everything is in perfectly playable condition before we decide to give one away. But there you go. That's what we're going to do. So you're going to want to be listening to episode number six, our next episode for details on how you can enter to win a game. And we'll also tell you what game we decided on as well. So make sure you stay tuned for that. I'm excited. I can't wait to find out what game we're going to do. Can I win it? it will be very good. <laughs> And, of course, you can always contact us through social media, Facebook at Board Together, Twitter at Board Together, and those are both spelled B-O-A-R-D, the number two, G-E-T-H-E-R. Our BGG Guild is up and running and looking fantastic at guild number 3625, so you can certainly visit us there and check things out. Leave us comments if you want to. We have the YouTube channel. Uh, just search us up, Board Together games and our website, of course, BoardTogetherGames.com. Any of those ways, feel free to reach out to us. Keep in contact with us. We would love for that to be the case. Also, of course, please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel so inclined, one of the best ways that you can help us is to give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, with your family, anyone who you feel like might benefit from it, enjoy it, get some entertainment out of it. That'd be fantastic. We love you all very much. Thank you again so much for listening. And remember, if you're bored together, bored together. together and we will see you all next time.
2: How many animals of each type did Moses take on the ark?